Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Well, a very good morning to you. We're going to finish our series this morning on 1 Peter, our Advent series, but let's pray um, before we begin. Father, we've just sung together, Divine Instructor, Gracious Lord, be now and always near, and we pray this morning, teach us to love your word and to view your wonderful Savior here in it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been looking over the last few weeks and through 1 Peter, Jesus Christ is coming back. And this directly impacts how the Christian lives here and now. And this morning, we look at the type of leader that God expects for his people. There is high reward for this leader. Verse 4, there is a crown in sight. And it's a clear statement of how highly God prizes this task of leadership. Extremely precious cargo to guard and to protect. And so God expects much from leaders. So let's have a look together. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we have a flock of sheep. In verse 2, God's flock. And their leaders, the shepherds who have been tasked with caring for them. I've had a lot of fun uh, this week educating myself a little on sheep. Now, can I recommend that if you're fed up with family games over the next few weeks, well, sheep101.info makes a very solid read. (laughs) Uh, I found out all sorts. Their wool never stops growing. So I don't know if you've read about Shrek the sheep. He went off scared of the barbers for six years. He hid in a cave and they finally found him and they got the shears to him and he provided enough wool for 20 men's suits just himself. They have amazing peripheral vision as well. They have rectangular shaped pupils that give them a field of vision between 270 and 320 degrees. Uh, So they can see all around. I found that actually growing up. I used to have a friend that lived next to a farm and we used to go onto the farm armed with water balloons for these things. And we could never hit any. And now I know why. It's because they could see us coming um, from the back. Anyway, anyway, not important. Uh, More relevant uh, to us this morning is a sheep's behavior. Sheep are best known for their strong flocking and following instinct. So they run from what frightens them And they band together in large groups for protection, safety in numbers. And they're a very sociable animal as well. In a grazing situation, they need to see other sheep. And a sheep will become highly agitated if it is separated from the rest of the flock. And they need a leader. So from birth, lambs are taught to follow the older members of the flock. When one sheep moves, the rest will follow 
even if it isn't a good idea. So in 2006, there was an incident of uh, flocking and following to the extreme where one sheep uh, actually uh, fell into a ravine, uh, just led, led into a sheep, and 400 sheep that saw the sheep go into the ravine followed to their death, 400 of them, and they all died because they followed uh, this leader. And it is sheep here who are God's concern this morning in our passage. Now, not obviously not the fluffy white sort, but verse two, we have God's flock, his people. They need to be looked after. So just like the, the white fluffy sort, the fluffy white sort, we have strong flocking instincts. So safety in numbers. We like to band together in large groups for protection. We often run away from what frightens us We're sociable, generally sociable. We are comforted when others walk through life with us, when they walk through trials. That means a big deal to us. We don't do it alone. We generally don't want to be seen as odd or to stand out from the crowd. If this is your first time uh, this morning, you'll get this. You, You don't quite know what to expect. You're nervous about looking odd or strange. It's a scary thing to come Uh, to a new place. I don't like actually sitting on the front row, which is very inconvenient because I'm convinced every time I stand up, I'm the only one in the room that's standing up. Everyone else behind is sniggering at me. And we naturally follow, don't we? We like to keep up with trends, how we dress, style our hair, house decor, how we spend our time. It's all shaped by those around us. And so it is as crucial as it can possibly be this morning that we find out that those who lead God's people, well, they are meant to do it well. It's crucial that they do it well. You see, the ravine of eternity is set before us. And church elders, who we've got here in this passage, they must lead the correct path through or devastating consequences will be the result. The Bible tells us that God's people have a long, long history of bad leadership, wicked shepherds who led people away from God, away from the lush pastures and safe sanctuary of being with a God who deeply, deeply desired to look after them. That's what we've had read in Ezekiel 34. The shepherds who were meant to look after and care for the flock. Well, they horrendously feel. Israel's leaders, they feel toward the people of God's impending judgment and their need to turn back to him. God had warned them he wanted his people to find protection in his care, but the leaders were just not interested. And as impending attack from surrounding nations and destruction, it loomed, well, the leaders did nothing. Instead, they only seek to serve themselves. We've read that. They hoarded supplies. They left the people to fend for themselves. They they let them wander away lost and vulnerable to predators. They had no concern for the broken or the injured. They were hard. They were domineering. And well, the, the sheep were left desperate and helpless and alone. And that pains against their natural flocking instincts as they did it alone. They were scattered, they were without protection, and they were awaiting pearl. 
So these so-called shepherds had, had stopped teaching God's faithfulness. They did not call for people to turn and trust him as they should have. So God told them, we've read uh, Ezekiel 34, God told them they'd be punished for the heinous crimes. God himself would do the job. He'd step in and do the job that they failed to do. We read that in verse 10, I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. God will come and he will do things properly. And that's exactly what we see happen when the miracle child comes in at Christmas and he grows up and he gives us the words we read in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? Well, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, Jesus is saying, instead of watching them be torn apart, well, I'll come down and I'll die for them. See, that's the measure of a good shepherd, the good shepherd who loves his sheep. And as we've been celebrating and thinking about over the last few weeks, Christ will return, the shepherd will return. And he will be many things. So the Bible tells us he'll be a mighty warrior, sword coming from his mouth, enemies in fear. He'll be the king of kings, the only one above all. He will serve, waiting on tables of those who are expecting him. He'll be a bridegroom coming for his bride. He will be a dear, dear friend to those who love him. He will be a God over all, praised forever, Romans 9. And in 1 Peter 5, verse 4, well, he'll be a shepherd to the sheep who need him. And specifically, he'll be a chief shepherd. You see, the chief shepherd who has died for these sheep, he now entrusts them to his under-shepherds to look after them until he returns again. That's what we have here in the first four verses the standards expected of the under-shepherd. And given all that we've heard over the past couple of weeks about the mark of a believer being one who suffers for their faith, for a time, the believer will suffer for their faith. Well, it should not be a surprise that this is expected too of the elders. You see, these under-shepherds will lead people in suffering, they will often be the ones who suffer first. And they will lead God's people in seeing the glories and riches of God while they suffer. They will not lead them into giving up in order to avoid suffering. Because Peter is very clear. You will suffer now for a time. Colleagues will isolate you at work. School peers will be cruel at times. At times, the public outcry against your beliefs will be deafening. But splendid joy and delight with Christ is near, and it will be forever. That's what we see here in verse 1. See, Peter, the apostle Peter, well, he has no grandiose wanderings. Here, there's no pompous, self-elevating ambition. It's not Peter, the great apostle who everyone should bow down and honor. We haven't that here. We have Peter, the fellow elder. He is a witness of Christ's sufferings. 
You see, the church, we find this in chapter four, the church is to be refined through the fires of suffering for a time. And I think what Peter is saying here is, I'm with you in it. I bear witness to the suffering of Christ through my words, through my life, and I too suffer. And magnificently, I too will share in the glory to come. So stick with it now. Stick with it now, leaders. Have the sheep do the same. And we'll see you at the other end. And we'll lead the celebrations, partying like you've never seen before. And so Peter names three expectations for the leaders, which we see here in verses two and three. Number one, under shepherds are to care for the sheep willingly and not under compulsion. So just as the chief shepherd's motivation is love, well, so must it be for his under-shepherds. So under-shepherding isn't the best of a bad bunch of respectable career choices. You just have to pick one and get on with it. Nor is it someone's got to do it, and I'm running out of excuses to say, no, I'll just have to do it. No, God wants his people led by those with hearts and dedication and drive and ambition for them. You see, they lead for the sake of the sheep, not for themselves. So that means not complaining about the sheep's shortcomings, but getting down on their knees, begging God to grow their delight in him. Not aloof from the messy details of the daily lives of the sheep, but building special, patient, grace-abounding relationships, leading the tears when they're in pain, leading repentance when there is sin, leading the parties when there is celebration. No one wants to be in an office with someone that doesn't want to do the job, that just frankly doesn't want to be there. Well, how much more for those who care for the eternal souls of God's people? No, they're to do it willingly and not under compulsion. Number two, under-shepherds are to care for the sheep, not for greed, but for service. See, God's under-shepherds are not just simply to choose a church to settle in according to the comfort on offer, motivations of cultural respectability as a local leader, or perhaps Georgian vicarages, or trustees on important decision-making boards. Well, they're all very far off the mark. No, the motivation is service. So that's a closer to the picture of waiter or cleaner rather than a president standing to rising plaudits and fanfare. So no regular yachting holidays with wealthy benefactors and popular celebrities. God's under shepherd is too busy, too busy praying with someone that no one else has cared about at the bedside of the dying, radically leading the sheep into building gospel-shaped communities in their local areas. The under-shepherd, it's not for greed, but to serve these wonderful people. And number three, under-shepherds are to care for the sheep, not domineering, but by being an example. You see, Christ's blood has not paid for these people to be bullied or harassed or belittled or patronized or to be taken advantage of. 
Sheep are not pawns in a shepherd's personal ambition to rise to the top. No, the sheep are why the shepherd exists in the first place. Their welfare is what he is about. And the happier and healthier the flock is, well, the better the shepherds will be doing their jobs. So the more delighted by God, the more secure the sheep are in the faith, the more they're willing to to give up the flailing treasures that they could have. If they're doing those things, well, the better the shepherds are clearly doing their job and serving God's people. And it's never to be forgotten, the sheep don't belong to the under-shepherd. They are God's prized sheep, and he entrusts them to to their care for a while. Excuse me. So God's sheep are in the care for a time of these under-shepherds. So if you imagine a wealthy friend... I have to imagine a wealthy friend. You may not need to imagine a wealthy friend, but imagine a wealthy friend letting you borrow their their million-pound diamond necklace for the weekend or throwing you the keys to their Ferrari as they go on holiday for the week. Their last words, as as they go out the door, just look after it. Please look after it. Well, what would that do for you? How would your mind be sharpened to the dangers out there that you never thought of before? Theft, loss, storms, scratches... You take good care because you've been entrusted with something very precious, and it's not yours. Verse 3, God has entrusted the under-shepherd with his diamonds, and they must treat them with the value attributed by their owner. Important enough for Christ to die, well, these under-shepherds care, and they lead by example. And so when an under-shepherd focuses on their own rights and desires rather than caring for the sheep, well, they feel. They feel to be the example that they're meant to be. And we'd all be in a very different place if the chief shepherd had decided to only look out for himself. So after all that, it would be a very fair question to ask. Who would dream of being an under-shepherd. Well, the task is great, but it doesn't go unnoticed here in this passage. Verse four, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. See, the motivation isn't honor and wealth in this life, but glorious things in abundance when Christ returns. So just as a prized athlete receives a victor's crown or wreath and golden crowns were given to the Roman generals at the time who were most valiant in battle because the task they undertook was held in the highest of honor by the empire. Well, Christ will look at his sheep and he will be so delighted that they're waiting on him. And he'll want to pour honor and blessing on those that have guided them through. He has seen their many, many obstacles. He will have seen what these sheep have gone through, the deep suffering, the pressures put on them by the world around, the temptations to wander away, the battle they've had with themselves to keep going. And he'll see that. He'll see these battle-worn sheep 
taking sanctuary in him. And he will be so, so pleased. And unlike anything transient on offer, which tempts us to give up now, well, this reward is certain because the chief shepherd is certainly returning. And so it is secure, it is eternal, we've read here. It will never fade away. So four points of application uh, as we close this morning. Number one, know and value and feel as precious as Peter makes clear you are this morning. You see, in the sight of the chief shepherd who loves his sheep, you are precious. Never forget that. Never forget the lengths Christ has gone to for you. And I, I, I beg you, really, please have this at the forefront of your mind as you celebrate on Christmas Day. He came, he was hated, he was abused, he died, he rose again, and he will return for you. You are that loved. Know it and feel it. And see and know it's precious. Number two, please pray for the fullwood under shepherds. Please pray we would have that deeply sacrificial, servant-hearted, grace-reliant, humble, willingness to suffer, enduring, patient, mercy-appreciating, joyful love for the chief shepherd and his sheep. Please also pray we'd, all, we'd be always ready and bold and wise enough to know when to act when there's dangers lurking. So when Lucy was, um, my wife Lucy was pregnant with Noah, our eldest, um, he's seven now, but I, I remember very clearly at the nine-month mark um, when we're, we were ready for him to come, well, every time she rolled over in bed, every time she moved, every time she breathed, I was in the car, 2 a.m., bags packed, ready to go, nervous wreck, spluttering, get in the car. She's fast asleep, so all she'd done is roll over. And as a, an anxious, spluttering mess that I was, well, I was watching for danger. I was ready for action. Why? Well, because of the precious cargo that was entrusted to me. Well, please, I ask you, pray for our under-shepherds that they would be ready to protect the sheep. Pray against a desire for personal comfort and complacency for all church leaders and pray that many more of our church leaders would repent of past failures and that they would act for the sake of the sheep, pressing forwards towards this Christ who will return for them. Number three, always be looking for these types of under-shepherds. So be encouraging and challenge our vicar Paul and the rest of us here to be this. If you're moving areas and looking for a new church, we'll be looking for a 1 Peter 5 leader. And number four, and finally, perhaps you aren't a Christian here this morning, it's wonderful that you're here visiting, but can I encourage you, we all follow people and ideas in some shape or form. And you will find, I can guarantee you will find no better person to follow than the chief shepherd Jesus Christ this morning. And when a people are led faithfully under him, well, there is no greater flock to be part of. They will still fail and they will still mess up but you will be part of a flock that will deeply love you 
and keep you going. They'll be there for you when things go wrong. You suffer and you're struggling. They'll be forgiving when you mess up. They'll be kind to you. They'll be deeply sacrificial. Their finances, their time, their energy. Well, it's poured out into the flock. And they're not exclusive. They don't think, job done, we're comfortable, we'll keep it as it is. No, they welcome more in when they're led to do so. So please, can I encourage you this morning, if you're not yet a Christian, seriously consider why you wouldn't want to be part of that. I'll be at the door, as Andy said, I'll be at the door at the end. I'd love to have a conversation with you. As we close, I'm going to read the picture the Bible gives us of what life will look like when this chief shepherd does return because it is very, very good news. And then we'll close in prayer together. I'm going to read from Revelation 7. You don't need to um, to turn it up, but just have a listen. Revelation 7, 16 to 17. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Paraphrase, it will be awesome and is very much worth it. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we pray for your beloved church. We thank you so very, very much for the depth of love you have for her. And we worship you this morning that Christ died for her. Please, Father, have our church leaders rejoice only in you. And we pray, give your under-shepherds here at Fullwood hearts of repentance for when we fail you and when we fail your people. Hearts of joy and a willingness to suffer as we look forward to the glorious day when Christ, the great and perfect shepherd, returns. In Jesus' name, and because he died and he rose again, we ask these things. Amen.